Have you ever found yourself in a discussion with a kid and realized that you're wrong? Yeah, it can be a pretty hard pill to swallow. But you're an adult. You know that you have to act mature and admit your inaccuracy. Now imagine you're a politician, and suddenly some school kids tell you that your actions on climate change are far from enough. That's basically what happened when millions of young people worldwide demanded significant governmental action in the fight against climate change, all inspired by the teenage girl from Sweden, Greta Thunberg, who started the school strike for the climate back in 2018. In this episode, we'll meet three members of the so-called Generation Greta. We'll also try to find out how they've become an enduring voice in the fight against climate change, even though many of them are still too young to vote. What does it take to speak out against the decisions made by adults? And what can we learn from these young activists? I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. Before COVID-19, students from more than 125 countries would repeatedly walk out of schools, colleges, and universities in some of the biggest global climate protests ever seen. The movement called itself Fridays for Future. Why go to school when there's no future, they said, marching with slogans like, there is no planet B. Unlike uprisings seen in previous generations, this is not a youth movement trying to overthrow the system or start a riot. They simply demand world leaders to follow the agreements that they have already signed on to. This sounds reasonable, right? Well, it's easier said than done. But maybe these green, young activists can teach us a thing or two. The three activists that we're about to meet share the same concern about the inaction of adults and world leaders. Good day, everyone. It's a pleasure to share this coming hour with you. They met to discuss their views in an online Nordic Talk event recorded during the official climate week in Lithuania. I have been concerned with the climate issues for as long as I can remember, at least the justice issues. Because for me, climate issues is also an issue of justice. And the issue of climate is among the biggest uh, issues of solidarity today. Today's climate policy affects children and young people both today and in the future. And science states that we won't reach the Paris Agreement 1.5 nor 2 degrees gold if we continue the way we do today. The voice you've just heard belongs to Anna Sorelli. She took part in the discussion from her home in Norway. Anna started working at a local NGO as a youth delegate for climate change. For the last two years now, she has represented concerned young climate activists at UN summits. She believes that we all have a role to play when it comes to reducing climate change. But what she's really fighting for is for world leaders to respect the international agreements that they signed on to. 
the two other people participating in the discussion, also join the conversation from home. They're both from Lithuania and share Anna's apprehension about the future of our planet. Their names are Dovidas Kaminskas and Jevil Matrimaita. Let's hear first from Dovidas. My first engagement about this topic, about the green environment, about the sustainable development, was during my master's degree. I wrote my master's degree on the topic of uh, uh, European Union public procurement and about the green and sustainable criteria inclusion in the public money spending. So that was my first touch of, of, of this uh, really large topic. Anne, Dovidas and Jevil are all fighting for the same goal a greener and more sustainable future. Yet, their approaches vary from collecting trash to speaking up at UN climate meetings. But even though they have different stories, they all share the same determination to keep fighting. Javil started her fight against climate change at the age of 14. I think although in Lithuania, uh, many people um, in general are not really concerned yet about climate change because they probably don't feel the like um, direct impacts of climate and extreme weather events and things like that. In Clayfella, we particularly, what we felt is the environmental injustices. So things like air pollution and, and waste and so on. Um, so this is how I started because it was really obvious that that's the problem. So I joined um, a local eco club called Triona here in Clayfella. Um but then, of course, after organizing some things here, I also realized that the issue is not, it's environmental justice is a big issue, but it also goes beyond on a global scale to this climate, just what we call climate justice and climate change. So I started from a small environmental justice perspective, but moved on into a global scale because I think that's also very urgent at this point. Dovidas went straight into politics after finishing his university degree in environmental law. He no longer represents the youth movement, but he has taken the climate fight with him into his adult life. Today, he's the mayor of an industrial district in Lithuania. We're doing a lot of things, but we have to do a lot more. And uh, even though uh, we are a small municipality worldwide, but uh, we are big enough to show an example. Of course, it's not breaking news that climate change is an urgent global challenge. We continuously hear about the tipping point, the importance of reducing CO2 emissions and the Paris Agreement, and all the scary news that it might be too late to turn things around. According to the so-called Generation Greta, there's still hope, but the window of opportunity is quickly closing. And world leaders have to follow their own advice before the window slams shut. Back to Anna. I uh, recently talked to a girl that has participated in the school strikes for climate, uh, and she told me that what is most difficult to her is to be responsible both for the actions that Norway's politics uh, makes uh, for the future, uh, one that potentially can contribute to millions of people losing their homes. Uh, and many of the strikers I've been talking to, uh, they say that it's difficult to live with the consequences of the politics that globally affect the most vulnerable, hardest. Uh, so yes, I would say a lot of, uh, not only the strikers, but also in general uh, and society in general, a lot of people is concerned about the issue of climate. 
At UN climate meetings, Anna gets to talk with a lot of other young people from all over the world who share her concerns. And with good reason. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, there will be 200 million people displaced by environmental catastrophes before 2050. And there's more. The international organization Oxfam says that the poorest half of the global population are responsible for just 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Yet, these people generally live in the countries most vulnerable to climate change. And the richest 10% of the population are responsible for around half of the emissions. This injustice is unbearable for young people like Dovidas, Anna and Jeville. They feel responsible to prevent further climate crises before it's too late. Many people will explain it different ways, but I personally think it's something that if you put the people's perspective in, in the politics of climate change, if you put the perspective of social justice uh, when talking about climate change, because um, we can, you know, we can simply talk about um, reducing emissions and changing economy. But, but if you don't think about how it will affect people, how it will affect people in your country, people who may be coming from um, different backgrounds, but also how it will affect people and countries globally. So I'm, I'm talking about the global south here as well. If we don't put that in the perspective in any decisions we make, that's not climate justice. So I, I believe that it's just putting the people's needs um, in these discussions. That's what you can call climate justice. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? The Nordic region is often considered a front runner when it comes to environmental and climate issues. One important reason for this is the region's long tradition of political cooperation and democracy. Greta Thunberg has become the personification of the Nordic climate fight. She's also the symbol of how Nordic countries make a virtue out of involving their children in the democratic process. She is often being compared to the famous Nordic literary character Pippi Longstocking. And the similarities are not to be mistaken. Pippi is a rebellious girl who is strong, brave and defiant of authority. She breaks with conventional ideas and inspires other kids to speak up. But unlike Pippi, Greta Thunberg was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. Right now, the climate challenges we face are growing in size and number, making cooperation even more important. And cooperation is something the youth movement does very well, considering how they've mobilized millions of people around the world. According to Jeville, the scale of the Greta Thunberg movement has made it easier for young people to speak up and get adults to listen to their concerns, at least in Lithuania. But as Jeville says, she's still missing concrete action from governments. I, I started being an activist when I was 14, so that's more than 
10 years ago. And it definitely has changed since then. Um, I would say I remember when I was going to United Nations um, talks and, and conference of the parties related to climate change in the years of 2014 and 2013. And yes, it was really hard for young people to get their voices out there. I mean, most of it was through actions uh, because it, young people at that point didn't have the, the like platform to, to actually um, say what they think about climate change. It was, um, we, we, we needed to make our own platform for that, right? We needed to go on the streets to make actions and to actually make sure that somebody hears us. Um, since the Fridays for Future movement has broke out, I think at least um, NGOs and municipalities and, and governments have, although there's people who still don't believe that, you know, young people should should do anything about, about climate, but um, yeah, NGOs and municipalities have uh, started looking uh, uh, at young people at that direction. Um, and But I'm not sure whether all of them are listening still to what they have to say or whether because it's now so popular or has been popularized by Greta Thunberg and Fridays for Future, um, these, like let's say, adults, and I'm talking now from my own experience, that these adults still sort of like look down on you, but still expect you to be there because at this point it's very like hip to have young people in, in your actions, uh, in your projects. Um, so this is my experience about how it has changed, but maybe not yet the full way. Anna's experience is different when considering the voices of young Norwegians. Norway has a long tradition of involving young people in decision-making processes, and youth delegates even get to join national delegations at UN summits. When I was younger, uh, went uh, to school, it, we were taught about uh, the big picture, and then that's that. Uh, we talked about the problems, but then again, it stops there. Then we go on to the next class, and then just this issue just stays this big, enormous issue that's really hard to tackle and really difficult for individuals to know how they can be a part of the change, and then. Uh, actually, uh, recently now, uh, Norway has gone through uh, a reform in uh, their schools and are now also looking at ways to not only teach about these issues, but also give the uh, students tools to tackle uh, the problems. It's true that young people in the Nordic countries have had a strong voice for quite some time now. But as Javil says, it's the lack of action taken on global agreements that makes Anna feel neglected by various governing bodies. In terms of uh, climate negotiations, I would say that Norway, Norwegian youth has been quite lucky for some time now because we have had these youth delegate positions in the Norwegian delegations uh, going to these meetings in UN, not only on climate, but also on different other topics. And that is the way in for youth to actually talk to these other negotiators and be closer to the politicians as well. Because, you know, the ministers or, yeah, whoever, whatever topic it is, uh, politicians, some politicians will be represented, right? So then in this way, uh, youth 
as one step closer to being heard. And I think uh, that could be good because I know not all countries uh, have to use delegates. So implementing that, for example, making that the natural part of international politics is a step forward in the right direction. And it's stated in uh, Article 6 in the Paris Agreement that uh, countries are shall try to, uh, to enhance uh, public participation, for example. So this is not only something that we demand, it's something that they also, the countries, have agreed that they are going to do. So then, uh, yeah, then they have to deliver on that. Dovidas chose a different approach and went straight into politics. He's now sitting on the other side of the table, pushing the decisions forward in a more sustainable direction. He's still not satisfied with the commitments from global governments on climate issues, but he does think that things are improving. We are going with a good way because when I remember 2015 municipality election and 2016 our parliament elections, we did not see a lot of discussion. We did not see uh, that problem in, in the political parties' programs. Uh, and after four, three to four years, in 2019, uh, last year, municipality election and two, uh, 2020, this year, parliament elections, we can see it in the programs. Uh, we can see that uh, a lot of politicians uh, are talking about that. If, if it's enough, I don't think so that it's enough. We are, we are still on the beginning of the road, but we are going the good way. The global climate crisis continuously reminds us that we need to transform our economies and focus on green transitions. Some even say that the world faces a historical opportunity to change how we produce, consume, eat and travel. According to the youth movement, we'll need to use the power of both systemic changes and individual changes if we want to have an impact. But as Anna points out, it's not necessarily easy to change your habits and your lifestyle if you've spent your whole life eating meat, driving your car to work, or flying to your vacation destinations. And one challenge for communities and governments is to resolve the conflicts of interest also of local communities and alternative renewable energy development. Because that's also been a discussion here in Norway. What are we willing to sacrifice uh, some say windmills, for example, is a good solution. Some say this is conflicting with nature issues. So how also we will solve this? And this has actually become a quite intense debate in Norway right now. So at this moment, it's quite hard to conclude the discussions because it's a very polarized uh, views. So this is also an example of issues that we face in the transition towards a greener future. So we're getting out. But we will start to negotiate and we will see if we can make a deal that's fair. And if we can, that's great. And if we can't, that's fine. As president, I can put no other consideration before the well-being of American citizens. The Paris Climate Accord is simply the latest example of Washington entering into an agreement that disadvantages the United States to the exclusive benefit of other countries, leaving American workers, who I love, and taxpayers to absorb the cost in terms of lost jobs, lower wages, shuttered factories, and vastly diminished 
economic production. Some politicians are still hard to reach and simply don't get it. But these young people won't give up. Like they say, they have no choice. They are the last generation to fight for the future of our planet. That's also why the youth movement is about upholding climate agreements rather than constructing new policies. I don't think that NGOs or communities can uh, make big systemic changes because the power is not in their hands. Um, But I do think that communities and people and NGOs um, have a big uh, role to play in keeping the governments in check and and accountable to what they're doing. So, for example, if this European Green Deal uh, will come about, there will be a lot of work to to keep the governments um, accountable to to that and also to keep the governments accountable that it's implemented. For the sake of our planet, the next generation is willing to fight make sacrifices, and demand that politicians stick to the agreements. Thanks to one Swedish girl who stood up against world leaders. But as adults, how can we take action? Javil reminds us that our choices have consequences for other people, especially when it comes to climate change. Dovidas takes matters into his own hands and has joined politics. And Anna believes that we should continue to hold politicians accountable. Like Anna, Javil, and Dovidas, I too was frustrated with the political system when I was younger. And I also wanted to make the world a better place. But here's the thing. You don't have to be a young person to consider yourself a part of Generation G. The risks posed by climate change are far too great to be addressed by just one part of our society. Being an activist is not just for so-called hippies. It has now become a way of life. History teaches us that we have the power to change, if we demand it. Look us up on Instagram at nordic.talks to get the latest updates on this podcast and live events. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening.